Hey everybody, welcome to the Wednesday edition of Winners and Winers Radio. It is hump day, and I am your host, Scott Steen, lead handicapper at winnersandwiners.com. And I'm your co-host, Scott Reichel, senior handicapper over at winnersandwiners.com. We have a great show for you here today, of course. This is Winners and Winers Radio, where you give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. We've got some fun stuff to talk about. We're going to talk a little NFL, both with ourselves and with Ben the Pen Hayes, and he is a senior, uh, what is he, he's the editor-in-chief. Editor-in-chief. Editor-in-chief at winnersandwinners.com and a darn fine handicapper in his own right. So we're looking forward to having him on the show. Of course, we're going to be doing our Bet the Farm play a little bit later. And uh, yeah, just, it's chocked full, Scott, chocked full. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, A lot of stuff to talk about. Overall, my day yesterday was okay, I guess. I had a little bit – I can't really call it a bad beat because at no point of the team I pick was, was ever actually covering, but it was a team total. And I had about three innings to work with against the Angels' bullpen needing one run, and I believe I got one base runner. Not good enough. It's not good. Not good at all. Yeah, we took a couple of took a couple of brutal beats, and we had the first – Five over in the Boston Detroit game, and first Boston leaves the bases loaded in the top of the in the top of the fifth, and uh, then Detroit comes up single double. They get it to five, and they have a man on second, nobody out. All they need is a lousy signal, lousy single, and yeah, couldn't get it. Scott couldn't get it. Uh, Hate to see it. Yeah, they in fact they walked a guy. And brought Cabrera to the plate, and I'm like, oh, that's not good. I don't want to put a guy where it's going to be a possible double play. And that's exactly what happened. Hit a little dribbler to the shortstop. A lot of guys, most guys in the majors would not have been doubled off of first. Cabrera, not one of those guys. He is in the Sal Perez category as far as foot speed goes. So, and then the other one, we had the Milwaukee Brewers, and that was going really well to the seventh inning, and then they puked up five runs. So, congratulations. Welcome to my day. Not the best one all the way around. But you know what? That's what today is for. We've got to put tomorrow in the rearview mirror. But before we do that, we're going to talk uh, about some people that wish they could put yesterday in the rearview mirror. Scott, these are the people that maybe took it in the shorts, took a bad beat, thought they had a winner, and then they didn't. And if you you haven't had enough of that from uh, me complaining, well, here's a few more in a little segment that we like to refer to as Call the Cops. All right, Scott, let's get it rolling, shall we? We'll start off, of course, in the major leagues. And if you had the Phillies Nationals under eight and a half, you were in great shape after six innings because it was one nothing. Scored five runs in the seventh. That's ideal. That's not ideal, but you're still just at six. Oh, three runs in the eighth, Scott. Couldn't hold on. Game ends 5-4. That's a half run more than eight and a half. So if you had the under eight and a half... You had it, you had it, I had it, I don't I don't got it. And you can call the cops. And the second one happened between the Spain national team and the U.S. national team in men's basketball. If you had Spain plus 13, you were in very good shape. Tie game at the half, you were competitive throughout. Ricky Rubio had 38 points, and yet it did not matter in the end. Spain was trailing by 12, there was no shot clock, and Durant said, you know what? Let me dunk it one more time. Uncontested. For no reason. And Team USA won by 14. Last time I checked, 14 greater than 13. You can rip up your Spain plus 13 ticket. Brutal. Just absolutely. It was one of those things where if you bet the NBA, if you bet college, you're praying that it happens. And it never happens. Because they're always classy. They don't score. They just, they just dribble it out. And most times you're a point short. So the one time, if you had the wrong side of it, they went ahead and just jammed it. And, of course, for everybody for everybody that was unhappy, Scott, there was a whole group of people that were actually happy. So, and How I'm many gonna, games do you think it takes in the NBA for Rubio to score a combined 38 points? Seven. Three? Seven. Seven? Seven okay. games. Scott, we'll finish it up with the Marlins-Mets. Big battle there in the NL East. If you had the under eight and a half. You sweat this. You sweated this one all the way through. They had eight runs after eight innings. You're just looking, just looking for a lousy, clean ninth inning. Scott, could you get it? Could you get that? No, you could not. The Mets, two outs. Come on, Mets, just do your thing. Just make no, 
nope. They insisted on putting up the run. Pulls the game to 5-4, and that, again, is greater than 8.5. If you had the under there, ugh, rub a little dirt on it and walk it off. But you might have to call the cops. Not fun. A lot of bad bullpens in the league. A lot of bad oh, Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, you know, uh, the first team with the the first team with the bullpen in that division wins, I think, Scott. Because you know Cincinnati's pen is terrible. The Milwaukee pen, man, they've got like three good guys, and everybody else sucks. And one of well, those one of them is COVID. I was going to say, and one of those guys, guys and Hater has has COVID right now, so that's not ideal. You mentioned Cincinnati also. Honorable mention there. They did blow a lead in the ninth inning yesterday because the bullpen's terrible. That's what we do. We're Cincinnati. Well, Scott, on the other side of the coin, these were the people that were happy. They knew they were happy from the beginning. They made the right play. They sussed everything out correctly. One of those games where you're thinking, you know, maybe I could do this for a living. You uh, had the winner early and no shenanigans, no late night heroics. You were just sitting in the rocking chair. So, first one wasn't a match between the Yankees and the Orioles. If you had the Yankees on the run line, that was easy. Up 6 nothing after two innings. Up 9 nothing after three innings. Won the game 13-1. to If you had the Yankees, it didn't even matter who was pitching. Cole, somebody else not named Cole, who cares? He scored 13 runs. Was it Cole? Was it Cortez? No, it was none of those guys. I'm just sorry, I misspoke. They uh, led one nothing after two. Led 6 nothing after three. Nine nothing after four, so I was off by one inning. Still won thirteen to one though. Okay, all right, that's much better. People yeah, are like, perfect. oh, that's a much easier. That win. changes everything. How about Braves on the money line taking on the St. Louis Cardinals? Led five zip after one inning. Led six zip after two innings. That's all they needed. St. Louis managed to scratch across one run over nine innings. Nicely done, Birds. If you had the Braves right there, you were sitting in the rocking chair with a six-one victory. And the last one was the White Sox on the run line taking on the Royals. What? The White Sox led 3-0 into the seventh inning. Then a lot of runs were scored in the, in the seventh, ended up turning into a 7-1 game for the White Sox. That was where it ended. White Sox won 7-1. Hey, speaking of terrible bullpens, it's the Kansas City Royals, everybody. How'd your boy Bubich do yesterday? You know, I, I think I, I feel like he pitched okay. Um, I didn't actually... That was the gist I got as well. But it was, a, it was kind of a... Uh, it was kind of a bullpen pukage effort, you know. And here's the, they're bringing a lot of young guys up, Scott, as so, they should. So yeah, right. So they're they're getting looks and coming out of the bullpen, and it's uh, where does Love Lady rank in terms of last names for pitchers in baseball? It's a good one. It's a darn. It's a darn fine one. It's a it's a uh, it's a solid solid name. Richard Love Lady. He's been on our been a Kansas City Royal now for a while. Yeah, Bubich had a quality start. Yeah, six innings, three runs. Yep, and then Kyle Zimmer, uh, Infinity was his ERA tonight. He came in, gave, gave up. Oh, that's 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 a. I'm not even sure how you do that, Scott. No, he walked. He walked three. He gave up. He gave up three runs, no hits, three walks. So I'm guessing that's love. I'm, I'm guessing love lady gave up some hits. It means he ended up walking all three guys. That's what, that's what, that's what I'm he, guessing. He, he got charged with. That's the what, that's what I'm guessing happened. He he walked the bases full. Love lady came in and let him cleared him off. Mm -hmm. So Zimmer gets charged for that. So, yeesh, not good, not good at all. That was a uh, that was that was definitely a, a nice easy rocking chair win for the White Sox. Yep. So Scott, I've been waiting to talk about this all day because. There was a couple of ridiculous NFL stories, and I wasn't sure which ridiculous story we were going to talk about. Things are getting a little chippy in the uh, in in the training camps. The situation, of course, you had the uh, was it Ebo or uh, yes, the uh, Carolina Panthers undrafted uh, safety out of South Carolina. He uh, he uh, knocked out a kid there, a uh, fourth year player. Uh, yeah, knocked out, decapitated, whichever verb you want to just, use. Yeah, bru it took him away in an ambulance. So ended up with a concussion, but it looked like it could have been a lot worse as he just basically took his head off, stretching for a ball coming across the middle. The kind of thing, if you did it in a game, it's insanity. You're going to get- It's the kind of hit that was legal back in 2004. Yeah, Jack Tatum says hi, but in 2021, that gets you cut from the team. They, mm -hmm. they immediately- they immediately released him, so no shenanigans. But that wasn't even the most shenanigan thing of the day, Scott. It is time once again, get ready, head to the hitching post, 
strap on this golden feed bag because somebody is going to take home the prize of Donkey of the Day. Good, not good at all. Scott, who's wearing the golden feed bag today? So, looking at the other incident that happened in training camp today, it involved the New York Giants, and they had a little bit of a brawl going on. And just to go through the actual backstory, you had a handoff to Corey Clement. If you didn't know he was on the Giants, now you know. He got hit pretty hard by a defensive player. Then Evan Ingram ended up going over and basically. I don't want to say punch the defensive player, but there was some type of shouting match with some shoving involved. Then Logan Ryan hit Evan Ingram. Then you had a full-on brawl between the offense and the defense, which resulted in a pile. Now, the question I have for you, what's the uh, color jerseys that quarterbacks are supposed to wear so you don't hit the quarterbacks? I believe they all wear red jerseys for the most part. Uh, some teams wear yellow, yellow shells, I believe is what they call those, Scott. They go over the outside, they're sleeveless mesh jerseys, for lack of a better term, but it means no contact for who is ever wearing that jersey. So my follow-up question there, mm -hmm. does no contact include being at the bottom of a pile-up with about 20 people on top of you? I'm not sure that's spelled out in the actual handbook, but that does seem like it would be implied, yes. So that's the the ending result of what happened with that little uh, you know skirmish you had between the offense and the defense. Somehow in the bottom of the pileup, you had your injury-prone quarterback, Daniel Jones. And one guy who wasn't too happy about it was Coach Joe Judge because he made the team run gassers for about, I don't know, 20 minutes? I don't give know. Or take. Long time. Long time, but any time you there get There was into puking a, involved, for sure. Yes, fights happen in training camp. First but day when, of contact, by the way. Yeah, first day of contact, some fights will happen because the offense and defense tend to be pretty independent of each other with the coordinators and they kind of like an internal rivalry there. But the one rule, regardless of what side you're on, don't touch the quarterback. You probably shouldn't have him on the bottom of your pileup. Did he, did I'm sure Jones had to run too. That, I, that was actually my initial reaction was Jones got piled on and then he had to run. It's brutal. That's that's a, that's a t that's tough love right there. So the Carolina one was an honorable mention, but anytime a quarterback gets involved in the first day of contact, right, and it's contact by like twenty other people, I gotta put that as donkey of the day because that's just atrocious. No, it's terrible. Yeah, you ever you know you're you're talking about knocking out a you know third string receiver return guy versus your entire hopes for the season. Yeah. So yeah, that's. That's not ideal at all. So now Jones brushed it off, but still, the concept in general, you could arguably cut five people on the roster for doing that today. Yeah, it's just it's just silly. So, do you think Judge made his point? Do you think the, the players realize it's no nonsense? There's no more jacking around. That this has got to be a year where everybody has to kind of row in the same direction. Well, this kind of reminds me of something that happened about a week ago, which was the cutting of Kelvin Benjamin who was a tight end for about, I don't know, two days? Oh, for stealing for stealing food? Uh, allegedly. That was apparently <laughs> just a myth. But Kelvin Benjamin did publicly state that the culture for the Giants is mostly revolved around Joe Judge yelling at people. And he said that they don't exactly listen to him. They mostly fear him, which, don't get me wrong, is one way of leading. That's definitely been around for a while. Right. But the couple of Giants came to Coach Judge's defense saying – he has all of our respect. He does whatever. So I'm sure the gassers definitely helped push his point across. But assuming the statements were true in the previous week, they like him anyway. So I'm assuming he got his point across. What do you think? Yeah, I, I certainly hope so. You know, because I that's that's the thing. One thing remains, remains constant in football at every level, Scott, whether you're playing peewee football or whether you're playing in the NFL and you are in tip-top physical condition, nobody wants to run ever ever i don't you know i was unfortunate enough my entire football career scott i played at a practice field that was downhill and my god all they did was make us run hills i i, I swear that's how i spent three quarters of the time at football practice in middle school and high school was running the hill if you ever have to run a hill I can only imagine how bad that must be it's not fun it's not fun going up and then you're gassed and you're coming down 
there's some tumbling. There's some tumbling involved. So that's all I'm saying. So there's our donkey of the day. Quick reminder to everybody that you are listening to Winners and Winers Radio. Give us an hour. We'll give you the winners. Of course, we are now available at all kinds of podcast platforms. We're on iTunes. We're on Spotify. You can catch us on the YouTube channel. We had to do a simulcast over there. So wherever you are, if you're checking us out on one of our one of our podcast formats, make sure that you subscribe, like the podcast, all that good stuff. Like and subscribe over at the YouTube station. And if you're on the radio, yeah, just keep listening. That's really uh, you can you can pound your radio with enthusiasm whenever you hear it. So also, if this is your first time listening to the podcast or the radio show, hi, how's yeah. it going? Hey, what's up? <laughs> it's good good to have you aboard. We've been doing this every day. Uh, we do it every day, every uh, every weekday, and we'll have a new episode up. Pretty much first thing in the morning, so you guys will be able to get all your picks and all your information um, if you're looking to get that early. So, well, Scott, let's talk about the inevitable, shall we? Let's uh, do it. Bob Bowlesby, commissioner of the Big Twelve. What a great name, by the way, for a Big Twelve commissioner. Do you think you, they give you an extra leg up if your last name is Bowlesby? Mm-hmm. Well, since you're competing for bowl games, I feel like that's kind of a perfect fit. So, Bob Bowlesby and George. Uh, Kliovk? Not as good as Bowlesby. Kliovkov? Kliovkov, uh, commissioner, he's the commissioner of the Big 12, had a meeting Tuesday to discuss the viability of perhaps a strategic partnership between the conferences. Uh, That was reported, of course, by everybody's favorite Jezebel, ESPN, who just tries to break up all the happy couples. Uh, it's, It's nothing official. It was just sort of, it was, it was described in the, to the official as kind of a, uh, joint, lament session where everybody just kind of uh, vents a little bit. But here's my question to you, my friend. Is this marriage between the Pac-12 and the Big 12, is it inevitable? And if it is, does everybody get to go or do we leave some folks behind? Well, first of all, I'm all in for fake public group therapy sessions. So that's always a great place to start for the media to break down an actual topic. Excellent. But do I think it's inevitable? I think we would agree, regardless of what type of mergers or breakups you're going to have when it comes to conferences over the next couple of years, the landscape of college football that we've mentioned in the past is going to completely reinvent themselves over the, oh, itself over the next three, four years. And there's really no way to, to go around that. I mean, you already see that happening with the SEC. Uh, you're assuming that in response to that, a lot of other conferences will either A, try to copy what Texas and Oklahoma have tried to do, or B, other conferences will try to just find more ways to make money, yeah. <laughs> which is always the main source of, I'd say, inspiration when it comes to the actions of various teams and motivation, stuff like that. But as a whole, I do think that this is a little bit too early to start talking about the inevitable merger between the Big 12 and the Pac-12. If there's any likes to the Clemson story we heard, yesterday which we both think there might not be it was mostly a push for some radio viewings but or listening you know numbers but as a whole I'm not gonna buy it I do think it could potentially happen but it sounds like they got together at a bar pitched a really really brief idea and now people are just running with it doesn't it sound like they really didn't put much thought into it it, it kind of does like they ran into each other at an at the airport Hilton bar or something it sounds like the uh famous uh war uh, story between uh, the Red Sox and the Yankees in the 40s. I don't know if you ever heard this story, but there was an alleged bar trade that involved Ted Williams being traded for Joe DiMaggio. What? And it was written on a napkin. True story. Happened in a bar. And they ended up writing it down, got really, really drunk, and they were pitching the idea to each other. And they actually agreed in principle to a trade. They woke up the following morning, and both of them said at the same time, are you out of your mind? And the trade never happened. True story. Was it just two drunk guys at a bar, or did they have a, some official capacity with the team? No, they were like the general manager oh, okay. of the, of the uh, or I forgot if it was general manager or the owner, but it was the Yankees and the Red Sox, somebody prominent in, in power on both sides, and they pitched a Ted Williams for Joe DiMaggio trade while they were absolutely plastered at a bar at like 2 a.m., and the next morning they ripped up the napkin. Would you make that deal? Uh, it depends on which side I am. If you're, if you're the truth is you really can't go wrong with either side because they're both all-time great players. I'm always partial to, to Ted Williams personally. As a Yankees fan, really? I really am. I, I anytime you bat 400, I know 56 is the magical number. You're there's really no loser in that trade though. I think you'd agree with that. No, I I no, there is no loser at all. 
But I don't know if you ever heard that story. But that I've is, never, that is I've never heard that story. See, yeah. that's the great, that's the great thing about our show, Scott, because everybody, uh, you know, you, you you come for the picks, but you stay for the lore. Mm-hmm. The be- that's a beautiful thing. That's that's a great story, and that's. You I know, get the same notion from this. They got a drunk Zoom call between some prominent people in the Big Twelve and the Pac Twelve, and said, "You know, it'd be great. What if we turn this into the Big Pac Twenty Four? So what is there? Uh, we got 12, 12 schools in the Pac-12. I mean, is that? I mean, there I know. Be, I know. Oddly, mathematically. Well, right, but there's not twelve in the pa- in the Big Twelve. There's not ten in the in the Big Ten. So yeah, the math numbers are really, really bad when it comes to a lot of people in power don't know how to do basic computation. They just stop changing, like because you know the 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 conference that K State and KU's in. They went from the Big Six to the Big Eight to the Big Twelve, and then they just got tired of. of it's like the around. Bob Euchre theory in a major league. It's like, yeah, who cares? Nobody's listening anyway. They just have a bunch of random numbers thrown in. Nobody cares. Well, fair enough. So, how long before this happens? Uh, any merger between these two conferences? Between these two conferences, I'm not sure if it's going to happen. Yeah. I think that there's a chance the ACC could get involved if the Clemson theory has legs, but it really does make a lot of sense for both these conferences to merge for football. Because both of these conferences, I know Oklahoma's gotten into the playoff. They get rocked every single year. That doesn't really mean much. The Pac-12 claims to be a Power 5 conference. I think that's debatable because they don't exactly get treated the same way as the other four big conferences. They're both debatable. You, what do you, you want to you, you start throwing? I'm saying the Big 12, I think, is more legitimate because they, they at least get a team into the four-team dance. Well, okay. All the right. Pac-12 has gotten nothing. They got Oregon back with Mariota. Yeah, every that's the year, only time they've ever been. Every year they learn the same thing about the Big 12 when Oklahoma goes. They go, well, Oklahoma got a bunch of win- wins in the Big 12. Oh, I guess the Big 12 isn't very good because Oklahoma sucks, once again, when it plays a real team. I'm trying to think. The Pac-12 got two teams in. They got Oregon, mm-hmm. and they got Washington that one year. And Washington got smacked by Alabama. But I think those are the only two times they ever made it. Yes. And as a whole... I, I'd forgot about Washington. I'm saying you shouldn't remember him because Bama killed him anyway. But the way that I'm looking at it is that if you want to try to get more respect amongst the other conferences, I do think a merger between arguably the third best college football conference and the fourth best or the fourth and the fifth best, however you want to break it down, does make some sense. You? Yeah, here's here's what's going to happen. I'm gonna, I'm going to say for the 2026 football season, there will be three conferences. There will be three big conferences. There will be these three power conferences. Yes, there'll be the SEC, and then there will be the ACC slash Big Ten. There'll be the Big ACC, and then there'll be the Pac Big Twenty Two. So would they still call it the Power Five conferences because nobody bothers to change the math? No, they will not. They'll call it. You think they'll actually adjust it to the to the Big Three? They'll call it the Big Three or something like that. So, well, Scott, let's talk a little baseball here real quick, and of course. Um, they, they didn't do well yesterday, but the uh, Giants have the best record in Major League Baseball. And I was reading some stuff today. They're talking about projections for the season, all the experts. They, they literally asked like 100 experts at ESPN and uh, MLB and all this stuff. No one, literally no one saw it coming. Everyone had, well, for the most part, I think 93 people had the, the Dodgers, seven people had the Padres. Nobody saw this coming, and if you look at their fan graphs projections, they're projected right at their win total they are right now. Uh, their third-order wins, which is, uh, I don't know how much you know about that, but third-order wins is basically, uh, it takes it takes the order out of play. It, it kind of, because obviously if you have like four walks, okay, if you have them all in a row, you get a run. If you have four walks over eight innings, not that big of a deal, so it, it kind of tends for third order is kind of takes the element of luck out of the equation. Anyway, they're actually underachieving compared to the uh, contrast with their third order win. So my question to you, my friend is how did everybody get it so wrong? And is it time to get on the giants or are they still, can we say it at this point, two thirds of the way through the season, roughly, are they still just a flash in the pan? I wouldn't say they're a flash in the pan, but I do think there are some warning signs with the pitching staff, which is going to be the main point of my argument here on why people underestimated them. Gaussman's kind of struggled a bit down the stretch. Di Scalfani's been atrocious. Yep. I'm not, a, I'm not going to try to hide that. He's last, been terrible. Last couple, three starts, he's been very bad. Now, Cueto's been fine. Wood's been good. Webb's been pretty good. Although Cueto got hit hard yesterday. 
Cueto got hit hard, but as a whole, he's been okay. Yeah. So one one bad start, you know, whatever. Di Scalfani's had some serious issues, which makes me think that maybe he's either injured or he's just in terrible form. But that goes back to my main point with the Giants. And you're asking why teams underestimated them or why experts did. And it kind of goes back to one thing that you can mention for the Oakland A's Moneyball team, which is the fact that the rotation was really, really, really good. And nobody thought it was going to be that good. Even the movie didn't include the pitching staff because it didn't support the narrative. Right. But that was a great pitching staff. I mean, you had Hudson, Zito, Comp- like Mulder. You had, a, you had a lot of aces on that staff. And a lot of people thought that they were a good young group of guys, but nobody thought they'd be as dominant as they were, which is a big reason why the A's ended up having that phenomenal season. And you make the same argument with the Giants. Offensively, they've been a bigger home run team than people thought they were going to be because of course at Oracle Park home runs aren't as common usually as other stadiums but I think it's the rotation and the overall pitching staff it's been fantastic and I do have some concerns if the top of that rotation is starting to leak some oil down the stretch yeah unravel a little bit I'm I'm the same way and we'll be we'll be revisiting that here um, a little bit later in the season as it goes forward we'll see right now I think there's a little bit of value, but we have to see how the uh, integration of the new players for the Dodgers goes. So, Scott, real quick, let's talk a little NFL here. I know that you like to always take a look at the futures as far as the awards go. Um, you have a very – you Dak Prescott, talking about comeback player of the year, he's the uh, big favorite on the board, plus 150. Nobody else is better than plus 450. I know you like Dak there, right? I found plus 210 on DraftKings. Okay. I like it. It's a narrative-based award. I think that if Dak puts up decent numbers on quote-unquote America's team, I know that everyone hates that nickname because they haven't been relevant in about 20-something years, but the media will always talk about the Cowboys. They're always going to be on TV, and Dak had the brutal foot fracture or broken foot, however you want to phrase it. I think the stars are aligning for a good narrative story if he ends up with 30-plus touchdowns. You? Yeah, you're right. I think if he has 30-plus touchdowns, He'll be he'll be in good shape for that. I'm uh, I'm looking a little bit further down the list as I'm always I'm always looking for value there. Well, what's uh, your stance on narrative based awards? I think this is the closest you'll get to a narrative award in the entire league. Well, just because of the severity of the injury you're talking about. Just because of the fact that the foot completely snapped on a televised game, and how you know he was he gambled on the contract, and how he was a mid-round pick, and you know, there's a lot of different storylines. I think that suit him to win this award. Well, if you want, to, if you want a narrative, if you if you want to give it based on a narrative, Scott, look no further than LDT Laurent Duvernay Tardif, the guard for the Kansas City Chiefs, took last year off because why? Well, he's a doctor, and he stayed in Canada to help out with COVID. So uh, he's back this year, and. Nobody loves that story more than the NFL and the powers that be. However, a couple of problems. First of all, he's an offensive lineman. And the other problem is, Scott, right now he's not running with the ones. He's uh, he's not going to be a starter if the season were to start today. So he's got a long road to hoe. But if you talk about narrative, uh, that's your narrative right there. Um, and you and I were talking about most valuable player. And if, there, if you ever had a doubt that this is a completely – quarterback dominated league look no further than the odds for most valuable player this upcoming NFL season because the first 15 choices are quarterbacks that's really tells you all you need to know right there and you and I talked we always talk about shopping our lines but there's nowhere you want to shop more than here because if you for some reason wanted to take Deshaun Watson uh, to win the MVP award God bless your optimism. But Scott, on Bet Online, he's 50 to 1. What do you have, Matt? DraftKings has 20 to 1. I think he could be 200 to 1. I yes. still wouldn't bet him. Oh, no, no. Work. that's You should absolutely put your money in a wheelbarrow and uh, saying, realistically, he's not light it on fire. That's, no. the jo- that's the point I was trying to make. Like, you can find a great odds. He's not going to win. He might not even play. But the point is, regardless, you can shop around and find some really good ones. What's he worth in a trade? Anything? Right now, what do you probably a first-round pick, not knowing the outcome of the trial. He yeah, could go I, to jail. Who knows? Yeah, that's I. I just I just can't imagine that anybody's going to take a spin f- with him. You know, if you wanted to look past the obvious choices, Pat Mahomes, of course, Matt Stafford at ten to one. Scott, can I get? Can I interest you in Aaron Rodgers at fourteen to one? 
I have to be tempted by that. I All mean, right. I see ten to one on DraftKings, but he's the he's the defending winner. I would wait to see if Adams returns to ca- returns to camp or the team in general because right. he, of course, is the biggest weapon. But you know, Rogers puts up huge numbers. That division's not very good. You're and right. That makes a lot of sense. All right, very good. All right, well, let's uh, take a quick break here. We'll be back with Ben the Pan Hayes. So, Scott, last time we were out in Vegas, every time we were trying to have a nice meal, what is the number one question you kept hearing whenever we were at dinner? Are you going to finish that? What? Appetizers, entrees, sides. You're always asking if I was going to finish what I was eating. Okay. Hey, in my defense, you eat slower than a turtle on Xanax. But, okay, let me make the question a little easier. What's the number one question you would get from people when you tell them you work for Winners and Winers? What's Winners and Winers? Exactly. So what do you tell them? I tell them that it is the place to go for your sports betting needs. They have breakdowns on every single game in a variety of sports, basketball, football, college football. We know that's coming up. It's been really a great opportunity to just get better at sports betting, and they give you all the opinions that you need. Yeah, see, and the thing I like about it is the fact that they don't just inundate you with numbers that have no context. You know, you go to some places and they just throw numbers, numbers, numbers. But they don't tell you what they mean, and you just kind of your eyes glaze over. But these guys, not only do they use those same numbers and put them in context, but they're fantastic writers. They're great handicappers. You mentioned college football coming up. That's my favorite time to use winners and winners because they do every FBS game every single week. It is a fantastic site. Scott, what's the best part about winners and winners? It's absolutely free to use. That's right. It is absolutely free to use. Winnersandwinners.com. You absolutely have to check it out. You need to make this site part of your daily handicapping regimen. If you are not doing it, you are absolutely leaving money on the table. So, see? That wasn't that hard at all, right? Sure. You're still getting none of my fries. What? I, I didn't I didn't say a word. I saw you looking at them. Seriously, dude, it's it's been like an hour. If you're not going to eat them... Oh, man, that's brutal. All right, fine. Seriously, though, winnersandwiners.com. Go there or be square. everybody welcome back to the show and we are joined i've been waiting a long time for this we've been trying to get him on the show and it is perfect timing he is the editor-in-chief over there at winnersandwiners.com as well as our sister site statsalt.com he is the one the only it has been the pen hayes everybody mr hayes how are you today i'm doing well scott and scott great uh, thanks for having me absolutely um we, we want to talk a little nba a little nfl just whatever, whatever gets you going. I know you're a you're a Ravens fan, right? True, Ravens, uh, Orioles, Nationals, uh, certainly the uh, Wizards. There's no basketball team in Baltimore, and uh, not really into hockey. But now, just we, to make sure, the only team you admit you're a fan of in public is the Ravens, correct? Basically, that's it. Yes. Okay. Well, yeah. When we go in your closet, do we find like a lot of Ravens gear and not so much Orioles and you know Nationals? You, you know they won the well, championship, so I can't find any Wizards gear. Although I think obviously you can get them on Amazon, and it's basically yeah, it's a lot of purple, a lot you, of purple in my house. Do you have like a, a Wes unsold throwback Bullets jersey? Well, I was a ball boy back in the day, so I have an I got a bullet shirt. Oh, that's probably so a medium, so I don't think it'll fit. <laughs> a but yeah, I uh, I go way back with them. Outstanding. So let's. Uh, before we get rolling, let's talk about the Ravens a little bit. Ten and a half on the on the win total there in a seventeen game season. I know they've got a pretty brutal schedule, but am I wrong thinking there's a little bit of value on the over there, Ben? Um, I'd like to see Lamar Jackson in camp first. Of course, he's on the COVID list. He should be back uh, Friday or Saturday. Um, I think they have a pretty good football team. You know, uh, Rashad Bateman, the wide receiver from Minnesota. This is a pretty, really good so far in terms of camp and mini camps and stuff like that. You know, your guy, Sammy Watkins, if he stays healthy, at least for seven, eight games, right. should help. Uh, they got one of the better tight ends in football, Mark Andrews. They're going to run the football. They've got to be able to throw the ball. They know that. You know, they hired T. Martin to help out as a quarterback coach. And, I, you know, I, I could see 11 wins. I wouldn't jump high on it because it is a tough schedule. They are in a tougher division. Cleveland won't be a walkover. 
you know, Cincinnati probably will be, but Pittsburgh, I think as long as they have Roethlisberger, they're going to be a tough out. So well, let's, I, w- I w- jump on that, but not real, you know, small. Well, let's <laughs> talk out. about that for a minute because we're pretty down on Roethlisberger on that show or on our show. So maybe you can bring a little balance and a little perspective. You think there's still something left in the tank there with big Ben? Well, can he last 17 games that I'm not sure of, but I think that not, you know, they have Najee Harris, right? So adding him, you know, that the strong, much stronger running game, they got rid of Connor who was doing nothing. Uh, you know, if Ben can last most of the season, I think they're going to be, you know, they still have a tough defense. They still have TJ Watt, you know, their offensive line's not bad. So I, I, I think they'll be, and they have good receiving course. I think they're a tough team as long as Ben can stay healthy and if not, the, you know, I'm not saying Ben is what he once was, but they still have a, they should have a strong running game and a good defense. And if Ben can just manage the game and not kind of screw it up like a Baker Mayfield, they're going to be in that mix at least for a wild card spot. So they've got them basically as a 500 team as far as the win total goes. You lean over eight and a half with Pittsburgh? Yeah, I would lean over because Mike Tomlin, you know, Mike Tomlin doesn't lose doesn't have many losing seasons. Fair enough. Yeah, as long as you've got a quarterback. So I, I, I would go over on that. All right. Scott, what are your thoughts? On the Steelers? On, on, the, on the Steelers, on the NFL, on life in general, free, Brit- huh. free Brittany, wherever you want to weigh in, buddy. Doing, doing pretty well overall, but looking at the Steelers itself, I'm curious how much of Ben's thoughts on Big, on Big Ben involve PTSD. Because I we both think that uh, Big Ben's kind of done at this point. <laughs> it's mostly just looking at Pittsburgh's offensive line. It's atrocious. There's really no way around it. It's one of the worst offensive lines in all of football, which is really shocking because we know that Pittsburgh has always been a team that likes to get it done in the trenches. And this year, they'll probably have a hard time doing that. I will give them props, though, for replacing Bud Dupree. They did get Melvin Ingram, which I do think is going to help out, uh, you know, because he's going to be opposite TJ Watts. The defense should be fine. Fitzpatrick's a great uh, defensive back. I just can't get past Big Ben's noodle arm at this point as well as the 17-game season mixed with the offensive line. Najee Harris, I think, is a great player. I agree with you there. I think that he's a tremendous talent, but he's not behind that Alabama offensive line anymore. I think he might have some growing pains in the NFL. It's mostly just the offensive line, though. I can't get past it. That's such a terrible unit. You have any thoughts on that, Scott? <laughs> um, no. Uh, I, Scott, I, uh, Ben, I believe Scott slightly disagrees with you. <laughs> Well, I, I agree I with think... Tomlin. I don't think they're going to be awful. I think they'll probably win around seven games or so. I just think eight and a half for a 500 team. I do agree that Tomlin does a lot when it comes to keeping his teams relatively competitive. He's also had so much talent in the past, and it just doesn't seem like that talent is as prevalent as it was in previous years, in my opinion. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the offensive line that, you know, definitely Ben's got a noodle arm right now. The offensive line questionable pass blocking but pretty good run blocking unit so we'll see i mean i think the Najee harris pickups really good I, as a ravens fan i'm always going to respect them but scott we forgot to talk about justin houston going to the ravens what were your thoughts on that I'm you know that's I, i'm i'm obviously a little torn we would have uh it's always it's always a shame when one of the greats all-time greats in your organization moves on especially when they play for uh what i would consider probably our top rival at this point um, so yeah, it's, it's hard. I'm not sure from, from your standpoint, I don't know that there's much left in the tank, Ben. I don't, I wouldn't necessarily get my hopes up for Justin Houston. Uh, hopefully in, in a situ, in a situational role, he might be able to contribute some, some valuable minutes. I'm just not sure he's going to be much of a, uh, a two down or an every down kind of guy for you. Yeah. Well, that's the way they're going to use him as a situational pass rusher. Cause he has gotten eight sacks four straight years. And the Ravens have nobody that right. can consistently get to the pass right, to the passer. So, and they got they have some young guys. They're, they're not probably going to be ready. So, I think the Houston pickup was pretty good for the Ravens last second for not a lot of money. Well, you know, and the other thing is, he's a crafty veteran. You're going to have to occupy him with at least one offensive lineman. You're going to have to chip him with your tight end. So, he is going to have to be accounted for, and that hopefully will take some pressure off and allow you, you know, maybe some of the other guys to uh, to break through. Yeah, they, they blitz the most out of any team in the league. And at some point, you're just going to have to get some interior pass rush. Right. Some exterior, And they lost Matthew Judon. So um, the Justin Houston pickup, I thought, was a pretty good last-second move by uh, by Eric DaCosta. Just to, just to be clear, do you think the Ravens win the North? 
I think it's going to be close. You know, I'm obviously biased, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not just waving the flag for the Ravens. I think they'll win based on maybe beating Cleveland. Look, it hasn't beaten them in years. So I, I think they'll win it, but I think it's going to be very close. Cleveland's going to be right there with them. I could see them winning, you know, 11 games and, and be maybe tied with Cleveland. And maybe they have the tiebreaker somehow, but I think it'll be, it'll be that close. I think they do edge them though. Okay. Yeah, for me, I'm looking at Baltimore on the over on the win total. I know the schedule is tough, and I understand that Cleveland's become a very, very solid team in that division. But the thing I always respect about Baltimore is the fact that they have an identity. They know what it is. And because of their identity, they really, really dominate the turnover battle because they like to drain clock, time, possession. And even if Lamar is not the greatest thrower in the world, it also means that with a pretty great special teams unit, you can always pin opponents deep, worst-case scenario, I think we'd all agree Baltimore is going to finish in the plus column in the turnover differential, right? Yeah, I mean, Baltimore doesn't have a major weakness. I mean, you could say it's Lamar's throwing, you know, downfield. Obviously, he threw for 36 touchdowns two years ago. But it's more – the Cleveland's big weakness is their defense, and yep. especially their front line. And it's it, – that's a problem, when mm-hmm. they, especially when they face the Ravens. So. You see the uh, video of Clowney falling down during the uh, drills the other day for Cleveland? <laughs> I missed that. No, he's uh, – he, that was a pretty good pickup, but not as good as people think because he's a little bit overrated, shall we say? Yeah, we talked about. I don't even know if we shall say that, I just think that's accurate. But yeah, fair. we we <laughs> talked we talked last year about how much of his reputation was made just on one play, on how much how right. much money that one play in college made him, and it's it's millions. I don't, I don't think there's yeah. any question. So Ben, yeah, he's talented. So what team do you see breaking through, or we could maybe find a little value on a on a division race? Who do you think is going to surprise some people in what division? And uh, is, it, is it time to pounce on them? It's a good question. I mean, I think the Chargers, now I'm, <laughs> your division there, I don't see them taking Kansas City, but I think they can they can make it a pretty interesting race. That They are what? They're at, uh, I see they are at nine, nine win total. I could mm-hmm. see them winning close to 11. Right. It, it's just, you know, so a lot of people say, well, Justin Herbert's going to have a sophomore slump. I just don't see it. If you're good, you're good. And usually the great quarterbacks aren't really that good their first year. So I think Herbert ascends even a little bit more. And a new coach will certainly help them. Yeah, so he, I think that's Chargers, absolutely true. You know, everybody's on the Rams. I know Stafford had a little slight injury today. But it's I can't, you can't say the Rams would be uh, underrated because they're at 10 and a half win from my, what I see. Um, I think San Francisco slightly because I think I see them bouncing back because they had so many injuries last year. And people are not quite on them as they should be. And Garoppolo is solid, not spectacular. Um, don't really see anybody else as far as, you know, maybe, you know, the, everybody's down in Arizona. And maybe Arizona is a little bit better than people think. But I, I'm not a big Kingsbury fan. So that's a little tough. With I think they're at eight wins. And that's probably about right. And don't really see any, anybody else that's underrated. I think Philly at six and a half I might go over because I think Jalen Hurts, people are down on on that whole team. But I, they might be a little bit better than people think. Yeah, that's the division that I was going to talk about because if you want to look for any long shot of any kind, looking at the worst division in football where all four teams look lost half the season is usually not a decent option. I'm thinking maybe Washington if you want to go for like a plus 260 shot if you think Fitzpatrick might provide a bit of a spark because we know Alex Smith had a – pretty great story performance wise he wasn't that great not trying to sound harsh but I think we would agree that Fitzpatrick is a massive upgrade in the pocket in comparison to Alex Smith last year right yep well Alex Smith couldn't even get the, you know his, his story was great but he couldn't move out of the pocket he couldn't that's what I'm saying ball. yeah he just he just took care of the Lions you know mm-hmm. Scott knows he always took care of the ball wherever he was right but no it wasn't a threat Fitzpatrick is he's the opposite magic? it's Fitzpatrick <laughs> but... I don't know I mean, he can move. Um, it's a questionable pickup for Washington. I think Taylor Heineke might end up playing there, but they're they're average. I mean, they're probably the the best team based on their defense, which is outstanding. And I think Ron Rivera is a good coach. Um, in, a div- in a division where everyone trips over themselves, I feel like picking the safest option there, even if it's underwhelming, is always a decent way to pick up plus money. But maybe that's just me. How do you trust Daniel Jones? You know, the New York Giants have better weapons for him now with Kenny Galladay. But, you know, wait, he throws two or three touchdowns in a practice and everybody gets excited. He also ended up on the bottom of a dog pile yesterday because or today because he ended up being the victim of a little brouhaha going on in practice. Right. Mm. Well, sure. 
you know, it's okay. Saquon Barkley is back for them, but just to me, they're, they're seven, I guess, seven and 10, eight and nine type of team. Yeah. Nobody's really good. Dallas should be better, but their defense is still a question mark. So it is definitely a poor division. Hey Ben, yeah. how short of a leash does Jimmy Garoppolo have out in San Francisco before Trey Lance takes over? I would say five or six games. You know, it depends on how Lance does in the preseason, how this is, we, you know, you guys talked about preseason. I know it's a, it's important for the younger guys, not you know, Jimmy G. I don't think is going to play at all, if maybe a quarter. But yeah, you know, this is for Trey Lance. If Trey Lance looks really good. Well, then you say maybe it's against second and third string competition, but you don't start him right away. If I'm Kyle Shanahan, but I, I think you, you you have a lot of confidence if he shows you something. If he doesn't, then it's Jimmy G. All the way, and you know, unless he gets hurt, which he probably will. <laughs> And I think Trey Lance, again, a lot depends on how he performs in, in the preseason, in the three preseason games, although I'm guessing he only plays one or two. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think I think that's probably right. And it's going to it's going to be interesting. You and I, we were talking about it a little bit before the show started about how teams use the preseason with the, the shortened preseason schedule where you're down to three games. Which game is going to be the one where you showcase everybody? Normally, that was the third game. Is it going to be the same, or is the third game going to be your, you know, you see who – ends up making the last spot on your roster kind of game. So we got to see how that is and stay tuned. And we got about a minute left, Ben, and we would be remiss since we haven't had any professional football to bet on in about six months. We do have a game on Thursday night. It is the hall of fame game. Probably won't be one of your epic battles uh, featuring talented people and all pros on each side, but it is football and they will take a bet. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Dallas Cowboys, or at least there's guys that are going to be wearing those uniforms. So Ben, what do you got? What do you make? Of, what do you make with that one? It is the Steelers by one and a half, and of course, thirty-three is your total there in Canton. Did the total go down? I thought it went down to thirty-two or thirty-one. Uh, I'm still looking at thirty-three on an offshore site. Okay, you can shop well, you around, get, but yeah, shop around. Go with the under. That's the top play. And you got some bad quarterbacks out there. Uh, if Mason Rudolph doesn't play for Pittsburgh, you're looking at Dwayne Haskins. And, it, and then for Dallas, uh, you know, Garrett Gilbert, I mean, what do they have? So it's, Danucci. Danucci, yeah. Oh, yeah, Danucci, great. Jerry's favorite quarterback. So yeah. um, I'm looking at under first. Pittsburgh, I'd have to look at um, – I think Tomlin doesn't care for the most part. I mean, neither coach is going to care about this one. So I would slightly lean towards Pittsburgh, but a bigger play on the un. Totally, totally agree. And it's free season. You got to keep your uh, ear to the ear to the ground, ear to the crown. You've got to oh, read the doubt. local stuff and uh, read the, uh, go to the team's Twitter and check out the local papers and all that. All right. Yeah. So, thanks, Scott. Absolutely. Ben, thanks for having us. Once again, he is Ben Hayes. He is the editor-in-chief over at winnersandwiners.com. Make sure you stop by and check out his stuff as well as uh, his stable of writers and handicappers all doing great work over there at Winners and Winners. I'm guessing maybe we can have Ben back as the season gets going to talk a little bit more NFL and college football. So you guys uh, stay tuned, and thanks very much for listening. We'll be back on the other side. Thanks again, Ben. Thank you. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Remember, you are listening to Winners and Winers Radio. Winners and Winers Radio, give us an hour, and we'll give you the winners. You never know where those winners are going to be. NFL, MLB, wherever we got winners, we're just giving them. We're just dealing them out, Scott. I like Ben. He's a, he's a good cat. Is he good? Uh, was he a good boss to work for when he was uh, uh, your editor there? I guess you still write for him, right? He still messages me sometimes. Yeah, so there you go. I can't say used to. I still talk to him every now and then. Other other than the teams he roots for, uh, pretty good pretty good guy. So good having Ben on. I know we'll have him on again as the year pro- progresses as we get deeper into football season. But right now, Scott, we got baseball. So we've uh, left ourselves a traditional about eight minutes to talk about every baseball game on the card. So Scott, fire it up, would you? Well, you said eight. It might be seven because we got to take a minute to pat ourselves on the back yesterday for our odds makers are drunk segment. That's right. They were. Because we talked about the Padres and how the A's were laying 190. I believe that closed at around 160, so some other people agreed with us. They sobered up a little bit. Yeah, it uh, it worked out pretty well for us because the Padres rolled, and yeah, kind of how you draw it up for a dog of the day mixed with a 
the odds makers might be good, but every now and then they mess up. Yep. And you got to be you got to be ready to pounce. I loaded up on that one. I know you did as well. So yeah, if you're if you were with us for our odds makers drunk be sa- must be drunk segment, first time we'd done that, and it worked out pretty well for us as the uh, Padres did their thing, took care of business. I just that line made no sense, still makes no sense. So yeah, but anyway, to go back to your original point, yep. it's time to actually talk about the future games that have not taken place yet, and we'll start off looking at. A matchup between two pitchers who have been really good lately for some reason. Nobody really knows why. You have a matchup between the Yankees and the Orioles, and I'm looking at the under because you have Matt Harvey on the mound, who has been phenomenal, hasn't allowed a run in three starts. So he's acting like it's about 2013 again. Meanwhile, a question, and same thing with the people at home, who won AL Pitcher of the Month in July? You probably wouldn't have guessed Jamison Tyone of the Yankees, for going 4-0 with a 1.16 ERA. Fun fact, it was Jamison Tyone, and those were his numbers. Yep. I'll go with the under. Because both pitchers, even the first five, have just been very good lately. I think that total's too high. I think there's value on Baltimore first five as well. If you want to take Baltimore first five plus a half on the reverse run line, you could do that. I'm not sure I want to count on the Baltimore bullpen to get involved, but, you know, at least they... Uh, the, the good relievers should be all arrested after the beating they took yesterday from the Yankees. So, but I think, I think the totals are, uh, are a much more playable option there, especially in the first five or for even for the full game, like you said. So, yep. Oh, very good. And, you know, looking at the Kansas city Royals and the white Sox. Now, Carlos Hernandez made his uh, major league debut Last week for the Royals and was very good, Scott. Very good, and uh, he is getting huge, huge price against the White Sox as Giolito and the Sox, somewhere around minus two fifty favorites. Can I interest you in the Royals? And I told you I thought Bubich would pitch well yesterday, and he did. He was let down by the bullpen, so maybe we could take a spin for the first five on uh, Hernandez and the Royals there. I think you could. Then again, you might want to be worried a little bit with regard to the fact that the White Sox are clearly just the much better team. So, But at those odds, I don't blame you if you think Hernandez can catch lightning in a bottle twice. Do you think that was a little fluky based on his debut, or do you think that there might be some legitimacy to him being a stellar MLB pitcher? I think at this point it's probably fluky, but you know we'll see. And you never know if a player's got some skills – a lot of times they come up because they, and nobody else, nobody has a book on them or anything, so they're able to kind of uh, fool the batters the first couple, three times, but then everybody starts picking up those patterns and they adjust, and then you've got to make an adjustment as a pitcher, and that's really those second and third adjustments really kind of tells whether you're going to stick. So we'll see. He may have another good start. Anyway, Scotty does have good stuff, so tell me you're excited I did, about that. I did that. hear that somewhere. Absolutely true. Hey, how about one of the worst pitchers that we've seen lately, Scott, in uh, Jose Mejia going against Steven Matz for Toronto? Uh, Cleveland Indians, they are, uh, what do you say, Scott? Not good. Not 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 good at all. Matz hasn't been fantastic, but Mejia has been kind of uh, next, le- next level bad. Can I, can, yep. I, can I interest you in a little Toronto run line, even as the home team there? I'm not sure he'd be dominant in AAA. Well, looking at the rest of the card... It might sound like a little bit of a bold call, but I kind of like the over in the Giants and the Diamondbacks game. I know Gaussman was great throughout most of the season. Lately, not so much. And Gallon's a guy that you know I've liked in the past. This year, I'll admit, he has not been very good. We know the Diamondbacks' bullpen's not good. The Giants' bullpen's okay. I do think that total's a little bit low because I think Gaussman's being priced based on the pitcher he's been all year long, not the what-have-you-done-for-me-lately approach, which I do think has some merit. I kind of like the over there. I think that number's too low. You I don't hate that. I don't hate that at eight and a half playing down there in the desert. You know, Milwaukee jumped up and and, and and choked yesterday after having an incredible streak of 11 wins and covering them all by at least three runs. And they had had... Well, the streak's still alive. You just add a loss to the record. Well, that's true. That's very true. That's very true. In every game they'd won, they'd won by at least three games. Now, the thing is, they gave it up in the seventh inning and Milwaukee had a streak going where they, when they had the lead in the seventh inning or later... By more than uh, two runs, I think they had won their last 187 in a row. I think I saw the I think I saw the stat come across. So we can we're really putting a jinx in rarefied air right there. But my question is, any value on Pittsburgh when you're when you're laying Milwaukee at minus 300? 
I think you can make an argument, but realistically, I think if you're going to find value, it might be the Pittsburgh maybe plus one and a half, plus two and a half, if you think they maybe keep it close. But I think if you're back in Milwaukee, you got to be tempted by either the first five or the Pirates team total over. If you think that the Brewers without Hater in that bullpen could potentially fall apart. We know Williams pitched yesterday. I don't know if he's going to pitch today. They went to extras, burned a decent amount of bullpen arms. If you're throwing out the likes of some pretty mediocre bullpen guys you don't exactly trust in Perdomo, et cetera, you might be able to score some runs late to maybe beat a team total that's pretty low for Pittsburgh. Perdomo was actually pretty good. He wasn't He wasn't even the weak spot of that. I'm just throwing out random names that I could think of. No, I know. We were we were talking about that before the show. We were, we were looking at the pitchers, and you go, oh, you know what those guys have in common? They all three sucked for somebody else, and it was it was, uh, it was Daniel Norris, Curtis, and Perdomo. Yep. So, yeah, Daniel Norris just, oh, man. Anyway, Not don't, good. Don't even get me started on that. So, all right, that's a uh, – so so you're saying your play on that would be what? I'm looking at uh, Brewers' first five run line. And I'm also looking at the Pirates team total over because I do think that if Peralta only goes five or six, you might have some opportunities late in that game. Yeah, you're likely you're likely to get a good price on that because with the total sitting at eight and a half, you're going to get a a number on Pittsburgh that's going to be that could be five and a half, two and a half. It could be five and a half, two and a half, and even against Freddie Peralta, I wouldn't want anything to do with the Pirates in the first five. But again, we've seen this middle relief core for the for the Brewers. They're not good. They're down hater. So, yeah, this is a team that uh, I don't know if they're in trouble because everybody chasing them has some serious flaws, and there's really realistically just the Cardinals and the, and the Reds. It's and, not as bad as the NL East in terms of competition, but there are a lot of flaws with pretty much every team that's they're competing with. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Cubs are done, obviously. Pittsburgh was, yep. was done in 1979, so that's not good. And Cincinnati has no bullpen, so I think the Brewers can kind of rest on their laurels a little bit. That is a real shame, too, because they are just mashing the ball. Yeah, they're good. They just can't pitch. It's just terrible. Um, apparently, there's a couple of different aspects to the game of baseball that they did not consider, like yeah. your bullpen. So, But speaking of uh, terrible pitching staffs, they might have to segue us to one other play that we like. Yeah, let's go ahead and uh, and get to it. We're pretty mu- We're pretty much there. You've waited this long. We appreciate your patience. It's time for us to put our heads together. Come up with our very best play of the day. If you had to put all your chips in the middle, if you had to bet it all on one game, this would be our choice, everybody. Once again, it's time to get those overalls on, get out the straw hat, climb on your John Deere, and bet the farm. All right, my friend. Well, we are going to take a look in the American League as the uh, American League West, as the Angels and Texas Rangers go at it. This is going to be Shohei Otani against Colby Allard for the Rangers. We're going to make a first five play on this because we have no desire to get the Angels bullpen involved in any sort of situation where we have to count on them. They've been good lately, but yeah, we're not we're not counting on that. Otani, on the other hand, has been very good over his last 30 days, 1.35 ERA. Meanwhile, Colby Aller goes for the Rangers. His last two starts have been very forgettable. 13 innings pitched and... Uh, well, no, but his last four starts, 10.8 ERA. All right, I'm going to have to get on you about, yeah, 10.8 ERA. 10.80 ERA over his last four, 0 and 4 in those starts. And overall, he has made 10 starts. He's made a few appearances out of the bullpen with the Rangers. 1 and 9 in Colby Allard starts. Not good. Not good at all. Angels, uh, they can put up some runs, and they can especially put up some runs in the first five. Seventh most in the majors at 2.81 runs per game, first five innings. How do the Rangers do? Well, funny you should ask because they don't do well at all. They're last in the league, Scott, at first five runs. Less than two runs per game in the first five, 1.99. And a little cherry on top for you. As a home team, no one allows more first five runs than the Texas Rangers. This seems to me like a very obvious, very good play. We're going to take the Los Angeles Angels first five minus the half run on the run line. 
Gets us down to a, a, a friendly number of minus 115. We've got that at BetMGM. And that is going to be our Bet the Farm play. 